Today's sponsor is Headspace. You slept every night of your life, so you should be pretty good at it by now, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't get the quality sleep that we need and could use a little bit of help, and that's where Headspace has got you covered. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. And while they have meditations devoted to helping you reduce stress and increase your overall sense of well-being, they have an entire library of sleep stories, sleep music, and other sleep sounds that can help you get the quality sleep you desperately need. And for busy lifestyles, they have what's called wind downs. It's meditations and breathing exercises that are as short as three minutes so they can fit into anybody's schedule. I personally use Headspace myself. I've tried out some of the sleep stuff. It actually works. Like to me, it actually makes a difference. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. And over 60 million downloads. Try it today for free and start sleeping soundly. So right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleep pod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleep pod today. This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 214. Here we go. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he imagines a hamster in a ball every time he sees BB-8, Pat Flynn. Yo, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me today in session 214 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. My name is Pat Flynn, and I'm just so thankful you're here with me today. And it's not just me today. We also have a great friend of the Smart Passive Income community, somebody who was in, I believe it was episode 68. Uh, So that was quite a long time ago. This is Neil Patel from neilpatel.com, also quicksprout.com. A lot of you also know him because he's the founder of Crazy Egg and Kiss Metrics and a number of other tools and other great pieces of software. He's created four multi-million dollar businesses and uh, he consults a lot of other great businesses too. He's just a wealth of knowledge and I brought him on the show today to talk specifically about content, managing content, how to approach content, how to know what to write about, uh, how, ma- how many articles you should launch with if you're just launching for the first time, how often you should be blogging and putting content out there into the world and how to make the most out of it too, because we put so much hard work into our content, a lot of it just gets put in the archives or you know, we often do too much and what's, what's just right? So I asked Neil and I pick his brain on that to help you and Neil definitely delivered on this episode. So without further ado, no more talking, here we go, right into the interview with Neil Patel from neilpatel.com and quicksprout.com. Hey, what's up everybody, Pat here with Neil Patel back on the show with us, Neil from Quicksprout. Uh, what's up, Neil, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Last time you were on the show, you, I mean, by far, I mean, I get a lot of guests who are uh, on the show, they deliver value, but um, not as many get so many requests from the audience to have those guests come back as you do. So Neil, thank you for being back here. We're going to talk all about content marketing today and all the ins and outs of it. I, I feel that you are one of the leading experts in not just being consistent with and creating content, but creating the right kind of content, content that actually matters to your audience, but also that you could use as leverage for growing your brand, growing your email list and all that stuff. So we're gonna dive right in. I I wanna start out by just asking you a question and kind of starting off by saying, you know, gone are the days where we can just put up whatever. You know, back in the day, you could just write about a particular topic and as long as it included certain keywords, you know, you could get found in Google and whatnot and get some leverage on that. But you have to actually come up with good stuff now, good topics. How do you, Neil, and how how does your team come up with 
the topics to write about? I think let's just start there. How do you know what to write about? Sure. So the simplest thing to do is there's already so many blog posts out there. It's look what's already on the web that's done well and hasn't done well. Well, you can use a tool called BuzzSumo. It's free. You type in keywords and it'll show you what's being written in your space in the last year, two years, etc. The reason this is really important is blog posts that worked two, three years ago won't work anymore. There's too much regurgitated information out there on the internet in which people now are looking for advanced information that they haven't read. So you have to first figure out, hey, one, what are people writing about? And avoid all the topics that have been being to death. Two, look at what's hot. So when you use BuzzFeed and you type in keywords, it'll show you, hey, here are X, Y, or 10 headlines or 50 headlines that have done extremely well in your space. You can then take that data and figure out, all right, here's some headlines that work. Let me see if I can write iterations of that topic, but make it way more advanced. And that's the key. There's one word that makes content successful these days. It's advanced. So anything that's advanced that people loved before, but it's a newer version that's more detailed, more thorough, and it gives new techniques or tips that people have never seen before, that's the kind of stuff that does extremely well these days. Okay, I like that. So just to summarize that, BuzzSumo is the tool. That's correct, right, Neil? Yep, BuzzSumo is the tool. And look for what people have wrote. Don't write the old stuff that they have already regurgitated. Take all the top posts and see if you can write something that's more advanced and thorough. Typically, if you do that, your posts should do really well. And also look at their headlines. Headlines is half the battle. If your headline sucks, it doesn't matter how good the content is, people won't click on it and read. Okay, so let's dive into the headlines really quick. I think that's really important. You could obviously write the best content in the world, but if the headline's terrible, nobody's going to feel compelled to open it or read it or, or keep going with it. What makes a great headline for you? Yeah, so there's a few things. I actually created an infographic on this years ago. And with the headline, what I ended up learning was that A, if it's too long, like it's more than six words roughly, so that's the average. If it's six, seven, or eight, that's fine. If it starts getting to 10, 12, it doesn't do as well. If it's too short, it doesn't do well either. I don't know why, but that's what the data showed because we started computing tons of headline data. I have a data scientist, and that's all he was doing for me for a while. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we noticed was how to guys and lists do extremely well. I know people say they've been beaten to death. People still love them. Just look at magazine articles when you walk down a grocery store in the aisle at the checkout area. A lot of those magazine covers have how-to or list type of posts in there, right, or articles. It wouldn't be a post in a magazine. So that still does really well. Adjectives do extremely well. Uh, anything that evokes curiosity does well. BuzzFeed is a good example of this. And also doing uh, headlines that are really descriptive. So people don't like vague headlines anymore. That worked extremely well five, six years ago. But the trend that we've seen is the more specific you get within your headline, the more well it does. And most writers think, okay, if I get too specific, then no one's going to read it. And that's correct. You're going to exclude a big portion of the audience. But the people who do read it, they're much more likely to comment and share. Got it. Do you have an example from any article that you've written or any one that you've seen recently of a good headline that includes some of those things? There's no one good headline for every type of site. Reason being is a headline that works in the consumer space, for example, like BuzzFeed, won't work well in the B2B space. Evoking curiosity, if you're a B2B company, doesn't do that well. 
for example, uh, BuzzFeed will use headlines like, someone got a tattoo inked or someone put a red tattoo on their body. And what happened next will freak you out, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that may not be the best headline, but that's just an example of evoking curiosity. Those kind of headlines work really well for consumers on BuzzFeed and news and gossip type of sites. Those headlines would not work really well on a B2B site. If someone's reading an article on your blog, their business, they're looking to improve and grow, they're not going to really get attracted to clickbait like that. Yeah. So you have to adapt it to your audience. And that's why BuzzSumo is such a good free tool. And I have nothing to do with it, right? I don't own shares. I'm not involved in it. Mm-hmm. But it'll show you because if you type in keywords within your space, it'll show you what's hot and what's not. And you can end up seeing, oh, in my space, no one's using headlines that evoke curiosity because they'll rank the headlines based on popularity. And popularity is social shares. Well, in the B2C world, if you're seeing people use those type of headlines, then you know they work and you should be doing more of them. Got it. Okay. So you're just pretty much looking at what's already working out there and, uh, you know, implying what is and just making sure not to copy, but also make things better than what's already out there. So you're kind of using what's already existing as a guideline for yourself. So you're not just starting from scratch. I think I think this is great. Now, when it comes to, okay, let's say you found a topic or, you know, you come up with a headline that's great. What do you do to prepare yourself to create this content? Do you do any research? Do you do use any specific tools beyond BuzzSumo to help you with the actual writing portion to make sure that the actual content that's included in that post is is unique and great? Yeah, I do. So the first thing I do is I outline the post. I'll use Microsoft Word. I know a lot of people hate that tool, but I love it. <laughs> I, I go into Microsoft Word. I even pay the damn monthly subscription or yearly. I don't know what it is, but it sucks. I wish I could just pay the one-time price, but they don't have that option anymore. So I use Microsoft Word. I outline. I start with the headline. I write the introduction. And then I bullet out the main points that I want to discuss in the body, just like the headings. And then from there, I write the conclusion. Then I go in and I fill in the rest, reread it, add images, and publish. That's my writing process. Now, as I'm writing and coming up with the data points, either A, I'll know the topic like the back of my hand and I can just get cranking, Mm -hmm. or B, I need to do some research. When I do research, I'm just doing Google searches, like trying to plug in information. Like I know if I'm talking about increasing rankings on how title tags can adjust how many uh, your ranking position. So then what I'll do is I'll Google for relevant articles that have stats or data, type in keywords in Google, and then link to those sources. Even if I know what I'm talking about, I will still go back, do a quick few Google searches, and then try to link to other articles that back up the points I'm trying to make. The reason this is really important is if you want to be seen as an authority figure, you want to get more social shares, you can't just write content based on your opinions. Yeah, sure, if you're a political site, by all means, go ahead and do that. Mm-hmm. But with most blogs, people want data to back up whatever claims you're making. Got it. And- this applies also for other forms of content, right? Like video or, or podcasting too, correct? Yeah. Just like you can't go and say, hey, I have a really popular podcast. I know what I'm doing. Here's how to market it. And if you just say that, there's no validity to your claim. If you say, hey, I'm Pat. Everyone loves the Smart Passive Income podcast. And you know, it's so popular that we get 100,000 views per episode according to X, Y, and Z. Now when you give tips on, hey, here's how you can create and grow your own podcast, people are much more likely to listen because you've shown them or you've told them 
that according to X, Y, and Z source, I'm getting at least 100,000 listens per podcast. Right, right. It legitimizes um, not just my points, but myself in the process. So to, add, to, to regurgitate what you just said, um, you outline this topic first, and you actually write the intro out to help probably your thoughts, and, and then you write down bullet points of the things you want to cover, then you actually write out the conclusion too. Why do you write out the intro and the conclusion before you get to the kind of meat of the article? Meat takes the longest. If you don't have a good intro and a good uh, conclusion, no one's going to read the meat. I do a lot of heat map testing with blog posts, and the pattern that we continually see is a lot of people read the intro, they scroll all the way down, they read the conclusion, and then if they're happy, they go and read the rest. That's interesting. That is really interesting. What tools are you using to uh, kind of see that? I just use Crazy Egg, right? I use a scroll map report on there. Yeah, Crazy Egg. Of course you use Crazy Egg, right? That's your... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, he, that's why I don't want to mention it because it's mine. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I don't say that's what I was like, I just use a heat map. No, it's a great it's a great product. I was just curious to see if that's actually what you would say. So Crazy Egg is a great analytical tool that you can use. It's beyond just the numbers, it's actually how people use your site, what's hot, what's cold, and so you can make actual changes. I've used it myself for a lot of the design changes that you see on the website now. And um, it's it's a great tool. So crazyegg.com is where to go for that. Uh, something that I've struggled with, Neil, is getting to a point where I feel like every post has to be this amazing, epic, just, oh my gosh, like knock them over the head with with value kind of post. And that has often stopped me from writing some stuff or publishing some stuff because it's not, I feel like it's not good enough. But then you had mentioned a post earlier that was like about title tags and it seemed like it was a very small topic, but I'm sure that's something that people were interested in. How do you balance trying to come up with something amazing and great and epic versus uh, you know, some of the smaller items out there that may not seem as so, but also are still helpful? Think of your blog as a store. When someone goes into a store, people are different types of shoppers. Some may want to buy 10 things. Some may want to buy one thing. Some shoppers buy a product based on looking, trying it on, reading the box, the material, some just look at it, and if they like it, they buy. Just like a shop, your blog will have different types of readers. Some will be advanced. Some will be basic. Some will want to read 5,000-word posts or listen to an hour-long podcast. Some may just want to read a 500-word post. Now, I'm not saying write a 500-word post or do a five-minute podcast because you can't give much value in you know, 30 words or 100 words, unless it's just breaking news and you can put it out and... 200 words or whatever it may be. What I would recommend doing is write your real cornerstone pieces of content, the epic pieces, the ones that are so thorough and so good that it's going to drive a ton of traffic. And that'll help build the foundation for your blog. At the same time, you'll notice that those pieces will start bringing in other visitors from Google, social media sites, etc., a lot of those visitors may not want to read 5,000-word posts on a continual basis, especially for someone like you who collects emails because then you're remarketing to your list every time you release a new blog post or mm-hmm. whenever you blast out to them. So you also want to write posts that are good that just answer specific questions. For example, Quora. It's really popular because people have questions and they want the answers. So you could end up writing a 1,000-word post on, let's say, how to adjust your title tags to maximize your search engine ranking. It's basic. A lot of people have already known about it. The post isn't going to do as well. But because your blog has so much authority due to those epic pieces of content, 
those other smaller pieces will still do well. They won't uh, get as much traffic, but they'll rank high on Google. You may not want to blast it out to your whole email list because then you're going to burn it by just releasing short pieces of content. If it's good enough, people won't mind. Just don't blast out every piece of content to your email list and do a bit of variety. So do long posts, short posts, uh, posts that could be videos or images or podcasts, whatever it may be, Mm -hmm. but think of it as a shop. Not every person coming to your blog is the same. You have to have different pieces of content for different reader types. I like that. Now, for for somebody just starting out, though, maybe they're about to launch their blog, how many posts would you recommend to have on when they launch and what kind of posts in terms of length and epicness and smallness or, you know, what would an ideal launch look like when a, when a blog launches for the first time? Um, like, how, what kind of content should be on there at the start? Yeah, there should only be one piece of content, the one that you just wrote and published. You don't want to have five, ten pieces, launch a blog, and then people think they can go and read the old one. Because you know what? If you look at the analytics on most blogs, whoever comes to your blog and reads one article, the chances are they're not going to read another article. Don't publish five or four or even two before you launch. Just write one epic piece of content and only write epic piece of content, like really thorough, detailed guides, long to the point, thorough. It doesn't necessarily have to be long in text. It could be long in uh, audio or video, whatever it may be, or even thorough in images. Release it. Do at least five of those over the course of the next 30 to 45 days, and then you can start mixing it in with shorter posts. So start off strong, you're saying, with the content that you're coming out with. Obviously, make make, make some noise out there with, with uh, the epic content that you're writing. And it's interesting because in, in, the, in the podcasting world, the best practice is to launch with three to five episodes. And that's because people with podcasts, they'll binge listen. You know, once they listen to one, they'll want to keep listening and that allows you to get more chances to have your call to action in front of them and more subscribes and more downloads. It's great in the beginning of, your, of the life of your podcast. But um, you're saying it's the actual, actually the opposite with blog posts. And, you know, that sort of makes sense because I look at my analytics, even, even now that I've been blogging a long time, I mean, most people on the site will go 2.5 page views or three page views at most uh, on average. Um, and that's, the, you know, that's not a whole lot. No, and your analytics are above average by far. Most people on your blog, I'm going to guess, go to your homepage. Uh, I think you have a section for your income report. Yep. You change that. And then they also can go to a blog post. And I'm assuming your income reports are really popular. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely people, right. Most people don't even get two page views for every visitor. They're averaging like 1.2 to 1.7. So for that first time, that person that person who's just launching is launching their, their epic blog post, um, what can they do to maximize that, that post? I guess this is a question for everybody really, but for specifically for that first time blogger, they're putting out that epic post. You know, a lot of times we feel like when we write something that great, it, it should be seen, but when we're just starting out, there's really nobody to see it. So... How do we make sure that people see it? Do you do any promotion for a launch of a blog before that post actually goes live? How do you approach it? I don't do any preparation. And you may be saying, hey, Neil, you have a big social following, so it's easier for you. But I'll share the strategy that works for any niche, any vertical, even if you have zero social media followers. As I mentioned earlier, when you write a blog post, you want to link out to other sources that back up the data points that you're making, correct? Correct. So... When you do that, typically if you have a thousand word blog post, you're usually linking out 10 times. You don't want to link out just to link out. You want to link out when A, backs up your points, 
and B, is relevant to the reader. So when I publish a blog post, I'll email all of those people that I linked out to, and I'll say, hey, Pat, I just want to let you know I'm a huge fan of Smart Passive Income. So much so that I even linked out to you in my latest blog post. Uh, feel, feel free to check it out here. Uh, cheers, Neil. P.S. Yep. It would make my decade, not year, but decade, if you shared it on your favorite social site. And that's it. And by doing that, you usually get like 20, 30%, sometimes 40, it depends on the industry, to share out your article. So if you wrote a 5,000-word blog post, you link out like 50 times, you're going to get quite a few social shares. The other thing I do is, using a tool that we talked about earlier, BuzzSumo, I type in the specific uh, URL of highly popular content in my space. Because if you wrote an article on growing a podcast or creating a podcast, you can type in those words into BuzzSumo. It shows you popular articles in your space, and it shows them by Facebook count, tweet count, etc. Mm-hmm. Now, just look for the tweet count. Then take that URL, the ones that have a popular, a lot of tweets and shares, take that URL, put it into Twitter search feature, right? So you go twitter.com slash search, put in the URL. It'll show you every single person that shared that article. Click on their bio and some of them, or click on their username. Some of them have bios, websites. You can Google their name. You can try to find their email address. Once you find their email address, shoot each of those individuals out an email saying like, uh, hey, Pat, I noticed that you shared an article called 52 Ways to Create and Share a Podcast. I've actually created a similar article that is about 101 ways to create and share a podcast, right? The title needs to be better, but you get the gist. Right, right. Uh, Let me know if you'd like to check it out. I think you'll love it and it'll be beneficial to your followers as well. And that's it. You'll get quite a few responses, well above 10%. It'll be under 30% of people who'll be like, yeah, I would love to see it. As they respond, you say, here it is. Cheers, Pat, P.S. If you love it, feel free and share it on your favorite social network. So you're not sharing it it on on first contact? No, you're getting them engaged. Cool. If you link to them, you can ask them to share on first contact. If you don't link to them, you want to engage and create a conversation. If you go up to a random stranger and you say, hey, uh, marry me, that's really weird. Someone doesn't even know you. And I know asking for a tweet isn't as big of a deal. (laughs) But if you get to know someone, you talk to them, and then you ask them to marry you, you have a much better chance. They'll probably say no, but you have a much better chance than if you ask someone to marry you without saying anything else. Awesome. I love that strategy. So BuzzSumo to find the top shared articles uh, via Twitter about that particular topic. Put that URL for that those top posts in Twitter advanced search and you'll be able to find the actual users who shared that post. And you know because of that that they've found interest in that particular topic. So you could reach out to them, say you have something similar. Don't link out to your article right away because you just met them. Engage with them first and when they reply, if they do, um, then you could share that article. If not, then no harm, no foul. Exactly. Great. So if you don't have a following, you don't have a budget for marketing, if you follow that strategy, you will get traffic to your blog. Okay, so let's let's give something to the more advanced users out there who have been blogging and creating content for a while. So let's say we've been doing it, we've been consistent, we're, we're growing steadily. What's something we could do content-related that could really give us a huge bump or spike 
uh, in in our in our uh, email subscriptions, but more than that, just exposure. So what's what's one or two particular things that we could do that you've done yourself that we could do to really just you know things have been great and consistent, but but we we really want a big spike um, in our future. How do we make that spike happen? Once you have an audience, you're a bit more advanced. I would start doing roundups. There's a lot on the web. If you take everyone who's popular in your industry and your blog's been around for a while, who wouldn't be like, yeah, sure, I would love free press. I want to be included in the roundup. So you can say, like, uh, here's what 101 experts have to say about content marketing, right? And then you can say, like, uh, number 13 will shock you. I don't know. I'm making it up. <laughs> and then when you interview 101 of them, once you publish it, they're going to all want to share it. You just email them saying, hey, the article's live. Feel free to share it. And that does extremely well. Like those type of posts get thousands and thousands of visitors. How do you? Uh, I mean, it's it's easy to say to go and interview 100 people and, and facilitate that. But how do, how does one manage that whole process? So you want to do a roundup post? Maybe you're going to be like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna find all the experts out there, and they're all going to answer one question for me. What, what's the best way to, to approach the organization of that that you found? So Google has this thing, like you can create your form fields that people fill out. It's in Google Docs. And we send them the link, and then they click it, and then they just type in the response. They type in their name, their URL, their Twitter handle, and they type in their response. The reason you do it that way is you now can, when you publish a post, you can just copy their URL, their name, their Twitter handle, etc. And the beautiful part about this is a lot of people take that link and send it to other experts be like, oh, I'm in this roundup. Do you want to be included in it as well? And then now mm-hmm. you have a, a like a Google Sheet that has all the information and text in there. You copy and paste it, format it into a blog post, and you're good to go. Wow. Okay. So create a Google form. The Google form, correct me if I'm wrong, those entries actually can get put into a spreadsheet. That makes it even easier to kind of organize and see all that. Yes. Okay. And because you're sharing that link, might you even say, hey, here's a link to where you can fill out this information. If you know anybody else who's also done A, B, or C, feel free to share it with them too. Exactly. And then you might end up getting hundreds of of responses and then literally it's just copy-paste from there. I think that's, man, I've been looking for a great way to, to facilitate that and I've always just reached out kind of on Skype or Twitter and then sometimes I get Twitter responses, sometimes I get email responses or you know, they'll text me and it just, just becomes a huge mess. So I think that's a great approach. And I think that's something that will definitely help people get a spike. Is that something a, a, a beginner could do too? I, I feel like it can be done, but maybe they won't have as much authority and people might not say yes as, as much. But is that still, are Roundup posts still smart for those who are just starting out too? Yeah, you got it right. It will work for beginners as well. They're just not going to get the response rate compared to someone who uh, has an established blog and is more well-known in the industry. Very cool. All right, so we're closing up here. We've talked about a lot of great actionable things. Um, how do you best make your content work for you? And specifically, I'm talking about content that's in your archive. I think a lot of us have been blogging for a while. We have content in any sort of format that's been around that just, you know, it was great when it came out, but it kind of got lost uh, because we've just written so much more stuff since then. How do we re-engage our older content? What are the best ways to bring people back or bring those old articles back to life? Sure. So I'm going to give you some rough numbers. My personal blog, neilpatel.com, gets, it's still new, gets around 190-something thousand unique visitors a month, or at least that's what it's on track for in March. Nice. 
And out of those 190-something thousand visitors, 80-plus come from social. Out of those 80-plus that come from social, almost two-thirds of it is from older posts. And what I do is on a daily basis, I try to share at least one old article on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn that's done well. So I'll take an article that I wrote a year or two ago, and the blog hasn't been up that long, but let's say a year ago, and it did well, got tons of social shares, and then I'll go share it again to the same audience because a lot of people forgot about it or mm-hmm. missed it, never saw it in the first place. And if it did well in the past, chances are it's going to do well again in the future. So that's one strategy. The other strategy I do is older posts tend to rank better on search engines. So I use Google Search Console. It's a free tool from Google. And you have to verify that you're the site owner. And what it'll do is show you your rankings per page, your click-through rate, and how many impressions that article got and what keywords it was for. So then you'll take those pages that have a low click-through rate and decent ranking and start adjusting the title tags. The title tag, in this case, because you're a blog, would be the title of the post. So you want to adjust it to be more keyword-rich, yet it's still readable by a human and still sexy and appealing so that they'll want to click through. And if you can find the perfect match, right? I can't tell you that, hey, just add in this keyword or adjust it by this, and you're mm-hmm. going to get a ton more clicks. It doesn't always work that way. But you'll find yourself ranking for specific terms. If that term is at the end of your title tag, in many cases, moving it towards the beginning increases click-through. That's just one tip. Uh, putting how-to lists, evoking curiosity, right? adjusting your title tag with some of those elements also increases clicks. Now, you don't want to put how-to in your title if the post isn't a how-to type of post. You could adjust the post if you want to put the how-to in there. Mm. But if you do these things, you'll notice you'll get an increase in click-through rates. If your click-through rate goes up, your rankings will go up over time. This will help your old post continually get more traffic from sources like Google, which will outweigh any sort of traffic you're getting for a brand new blog post through social or any sites like that. Nice. Okay, so to recap that, you know, we have older posts that are typically found on Google, Google search, um, and we could use Google search console to see what those posts are. And sometimes you'll come across posts that are ranking, but they just have a low click through rate, meaning when people find them in Google and they're on the results page, not very many people are actually clicking on those because maybe the title tag is uninteresting. So you can actually adjust those and they'll, will, will they adjust in real time in Google or how long will it, would it take to kind of populate? No, look at your data in two-week tranches, and typically when a low click-through rate is anything under 5%, you'll find a ton of pages that have under a 5% click-through. And then you can just adjust those and check two weeks later and see how it's increased. Yes, and Google has a date range picker in Search Console, so you would just say, all right, I made the change uh, today, and I'm going to wait two weeks. Keep in mind, the data in Search Console is at least two to three days delayed. Okay. So when you make a change, you've got to wait two, three more days. And from that point, the data will then be uh, accurate with the new title. Awesome. What, Neil, what do you feel is the biggest mistake people out there who are blogging or creating content make? They're not consistent. The biggest thing that kills a blog or makes it not succeed in the first place is inconsistency. If you can't blog once a week or once a month, pick whatever the frequency is, but just be consistent with it you won't do well. And ideally, it should be at least once a week. I haven't seen too many blogs create content once a month and then just crush it. Mm. It typically has to be at least once a week, ideally two or three times a week. And if you're not willing to put in the effort, then don't blog on your own site. 
just guest posts on other people's sites. What do you feel about medium.com for Medium's not exposure? bad. It's a great way to generate more traffic. A lot of people are on there. They use it more like a journal. Whenever you want to write, you write. If you don't want to write, you don't write. Mm-hmm. I just don't like the concept of, again, if you want to use it for guest posting, by all means do it. I don't like the concept of having your main blog on like a Medium or a Tumblr. I like it on my own domain using WordPress. The reason I use WordPress is it's open source, it's flexible, and there's a lot of plugins that make your life easy and it doesn't cost any money. Plus, you can control it. So if you have a popular blog like yours, you release your income reports. I don't know what your last month's income was, but I'm guessing it's around six figures a month, right? Yes. Plus or minus 10, 20,000 bucks. So if you look at your income reports, would you have been able to generate that much income if you were on Medium or Tumblr? Uh, definitely not. <laughs> exactly. And that's why I don't want, or that's why I recommend people not to fully blog on Medium or Tumblr. Use it as a guest posting platform. Don't use it as your main blog. What's the, you had mentioned the, the biggest mistake is inconsistency. Um, how does one stay consistent? What are one or two things that, or pieces of advice you have to allow people to be consistent with their content? Not just picking a frequency, but do you, is it, I, I don't know, tools or do you actually schedule out when you write and you know what are some devices you use to help keep you consistent i use a content calendar there's a lot of wordpress plugins that are free that are content calendar related or you can just use your google calendar to map out when you're going to blog i also map out when topics are going to be released you know we mentioned earlier hey when you're releasing a blog how many posts you have published and i say zero just the one that you're writing that day should be up Mm -hmm. but before i publish a blog or before i really trying to grow one, I have at least four or five pieces of content written in advance. They're not published. They're just written uh, in advance. Okay. That way you can consistently crank out content and you should plan out, hey, I'm going to be writing every week during this time and you have to come up with the topics in advance. Yeah, I've learned that scheduling that kind of stuff really helps me. For me, Monday is my writing day. Tuesday is my podcasting day. And since actually making that concrete in my, in my life, it's, it's been a lot better. And I, and I have become more consistent. So um, that definitely helps. And uh, Neil, thank you so much for all that and, and, and everything. I mean, every time you come on the show, you always bring super actionable strategies and tactics for people. So I, I, I know I speak for everyone when I say thank you for that. Um, and also, where can people find out more about you? Like, what are the big things you have going on right now that we could support? Sure. You can find out about me more at neilpatel.com. And the big thing that I'm releasing soon is a book. I'm just trying to get it out there. It's called Hustle, and hopefully people buy it. I think it'll do well. Nice. When's it coming out? September. September. All right, man. We'll look out for it. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Neil. We appreciate you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Neil Patel. Again, you can find him at Neil Patel. That's N-E-I-L-P-A-T-E-L.com. Also, quicksprout.com. And actually, on neilpatel.com, there's a lot of great tools, free tools that you can use to help you do a number of things. For example, SEO analysis, and there's a marketing checklist you could download, and all this you know, competitive intelligence. And he's just a super smart guy, as you could tell, and has a lot of experience building multi-million dollar businesses. And I know him as a content marketing expert, and I hope that you got a lot out of this episode. I did. I remember uh, conducting this interview and just getting so much out of it. I was taking massive notes, and I'm sure a lot of you have done the same. So if you wanna check them out, neilpatel.com. You can also check out the show notes for this episode on SPI at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 214. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash session 214. Also, I wanna take a quick moment just to thank you. 
I don't know if you realize this, but you've had, you, the listeners, have made a massive impact on the direction of where smart passive income has gone. Uh, as a result of you, I've been interviewing certain guests that you've recommended. As a result of uh, your recommendations, I've been tackling different topics that are, that are of high interest to you. Uh, in addition to that, I created a brand new podcast called Ask Pat, which you may have heard of before. And on that show, I answer voicemail questions from you as well. You can actually check that out at askpat.com. But that wouldn't happen if it wasn't for you. Obviously, Ask Pat, there needs to be questions in addition to my answers in order to make that show a success, and, and I'm so thankful that uh, it's there, and, and I have you to thank for that. I also have you to thank for pushing me to create some online courses to help you through a number of the, of the different problems and pains that you might be having with your online business, uh, the, the scaling of it, just even the start and the process of it. Um, even though there's a lot of great free information here via the podcast, I know, and I know this from my own experience as well, courses can be life-changing because you you purchase a course and you are just in that mindset of actually doing that thing that that course tells you to, to do. And I have a number of different courses available to you if that's the kind of thing you need in order to actually finally start getting results and taking action. So I know a number of you have already taken action, which is fine. Like I'm not trying to push these courses on you, but they are there and available for those of you who would much prefer to get that targeted information and the accountability and the handholding through those processes. So if you want to check out and see all the courses that are available to you, all you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. That's a page that's going to continually grow over time as well. So keep checking back, smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. I look forward to uh, to hopefully seeing you there. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, and I look forward to uh, serving you in next week's episode where we're going to be continuing our conversation about content, and I'm actually inviting my content slash editorial manager uh, who has been just a massive addition to the, to the team here on Team SPI who has really cracked the whip on making sure that everything is being done on time, that we're actually ahead of schedule, everything from Ask Pat to the podcast to the blog content to SPI TV. She's really the mastermind behind what the content has become over the last six months here on SPI. And so we're gonna talk with her and talk about kind of what she got into and, and how she helped fix the problems that were happening before she came on board and what we're doing to get ahead to. So you'll hear from Janet in the next episode. Until then, thank you so much. I appreciate you. And if you have a moment, please leave a review on iTunes. I don't ask for them much, but uh, sometimes I forget because I know that a lot of you just need to be reminded sometimes to leave a review. They help out very much. It doesn't have to be very long. Just an honest review on iTunes would, would be massively helpful for the show. Thank you. Cheers. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI, and today I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray, and in it they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too.
So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.